The first thing is that anytime we're, we have things inside of us and is protected, we don't feel safe. The first way to realize that it's okay to talk is if we feel emotional safety with the person we're talking with. And so it might take some time for a person to establish safety because before we can heal, we must feel safe. That's really the beginning part of it. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. You are listening to Don't Be Afraid to Talk podcast with James. If you are listening for the first time, you are welcome. Talking and listening is key for growth, and I hope our stories will bring us together and we can draw inspiration from each other. Conversation will include topics such as mental and physical health, trauma and its effect, suicidal thoughts, recovery, and well-being. We will continue to raise awareness and offer a different perspective a mindset or an idea that could inspire you to take charge of your well-being and to grow as a human being. Thank you for joining us today for another episode of Ask the Therapist. Today I'm joined by Dr. Amanda who's an author, an educator, consultant, and, and also an international conference speaker. And today we're going to be discussing complex trauma. If you're listening today, have an open mind, and we hope you can learn something from this episode. Amanda, how are you? I'm well. How are you, James? Thanks so much Good. for having me. Thank you for coming on. So much to learn today, so I'm excited. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Sure. Hello, everybody. My name is Dr. Amanda Hellman. As James mentioned, I I am a a coach, a breakthrough coach, and I work with people to unpack anything that is preventing them from moving ahead in their life and finding their voice and using their voice. And I'm a passionate educator and really, I'm I'm really passionate about trauma and helping people in the area of mental health as well. So that is a little bit about me. Yeah, fantastic. Where are you based again? Sorry. I live in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Sweet. In the United <laughs> yeah. States. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> Before we get going, we're just going to play a quick one-for-one one game. I'll give mm-hmm. you a word, and you say the first thing that comes to your mind. Five words. Five okay. Words. Okay. okay. So, the first one is swimming. Cool. Mexican food. Guacamole. <laughs> Halloween. Candy. (laughs) Memories. Family. And the last one is identity. Golden. Sweet. That's it. (laughs) I think the biggest one was memories. I was like, hmm. But I... (laughs) That was fun. I liked it. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Yeah. So I just like to start with that. And today we're going to be talking all things complex trauma, so we get going. Quite a lot to go through today, so <laughs> yeah. I will start with my first question, which yeah. is quite broad. So what is complex trauma? Sure. And complex trauma, James, essentially trauma, if we just unpack that first, an acute trauma is one event that may have impacted our physiological, emotional, 
and physical and every area of our life well-being. And it can impact our memories or even how we think of ourselves or others and can really impact um, our perceptions of ourselves or others. And, and uh, those memories can impact other areas of our life when those memories come up. Complex trauma is a little different in that it is still a trauma, but it's many events that may happen on one given day. For example, sexual trauma, physical trauma, emotional abuse, uh, it could be witnessing accidents, accidents, medical traumas, death, and it can happen over a long period of time. So it may be a week or months or years where if it's something where it happened in childhood or family, right, that has not been dealt with, it's an ongoing trauma. And the complexity of that is that there's unpacking a lot of painful memories that are and emotions that have happened because of an event that impacts our identity, essentially our emotional, physical, I even say sexual identity, um, you name it, all parts of our, our whole, our whole being, including spiritual. And so that it, trauma matters no matter if it's one trauma or many. However, complex trauma really impacts the psyche and that you, you're unpacking a lot because it's happened so many times that it mm. really does take some additional work to go through. Okay. So we complex trauma as to acute trauma. It's not, it's not one event. Yes. This is something that probably happened over a period of time and you're trying to unpack that so it could be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's a lot more. Mm -hmm. mm, mm. Okay. Brilliant. My next question is, what are the long-term effects of childhood trauma? Childhood trauma does have lasting impact. There have been studies, James, that show the brain, and it's really fascinating for children who've had uh, ongoing abuse when they're younger. They actually have fMRI brain scans, and it shows that there was a difference in the brain. Uh, a lot of times ADHD, which is attention hyperactivity deficit disorder, can really, it's really, sometimes people are diagnosed with ADHD, but it's actually trauma. And what happens though, is that we call something resilience, where as in childhood, our we're too young to understand the violations that happened. It's something that we never expected because we wanted to have safety in our family and the people that are supposed to be around us. And what happens is our brain protects us by hiding that. And often there may be behaviors or things that happen or seep out over time. But childhood trauma can lead to children feeling like they're not good enough. They may have shame, resentment, abandonment. And they may end up almost hiding who they are, just hiding into themselves. And so even though there are children that may get support, what happens is that if we don't deal with the childhood trauma early, it can impact our life later, such as anxiety, depression, shame, impacting our social relationships, our worth and how we value ourselves, as well as even our relationships with others and what we perceive about how others think about us. So there are a lot of different impacts, including even our education, our academics, and even perhaps our, our, our post high school, our outcomes, you know, in life if we, if it's not dealt with. And so childhood trauma definitely can impact a lot of our beliefs, a lot of who we are. And we're finding out now, I believe that if if we can help support people earlier, then yes, we have a healing journey. We're humans. Things happen in our life that we don't expect. But if we can help our children early, then we can prevent perhaps the really deep-seated, uh, I believe, mental health things that come up later in life that never got dealt with. 
like in your thirties, yeah. things are coming yeah, up. Forties, <laughs> fifties, yeah. When you try to hide it, you can't really hide. You know, you can only do so much. But the body, Bessel van der Kolk, he wrote a book called "The Body Keeps Score," one of my favorite books, and it's true. Our brain and body might be disconnected, but our body remembers. And so, when we're starting to have a lot more physical health things, it's really because the emotional health is saying, "Hey, alert, alert!" Um, there's some things that haven't been dealt with, and so at some point, our body does always keep score and it's it's really that at that time where we're we're saying okay something's going on and hopefully we can then address it mm. and do, do you think we adhd diagnosed especially with children some of it could be trauma but they've been diagnosed with adhd Yes, there's actually uh, talk and discussion even in the counseling fields and education that there's some overlap between ADHD and trauma. However, there are very vast differences, but there are some things that are similar. But the big thing is we're finding that ADHD is not always just ADHD. There's been times where it was misdiagnosed because, again, of that of not having trauma-informed practices, of understanding what are some of our children's backgrounds or getting some of that information and really understanding how that impacts the brain, how that impacts academics and how that impacts how we're the executive functions that we have, you know, such as time management or ability to sustain attention or planning and organization and how that impacts those different functions when we've had things happen. Mm. So w- without having the trauma informed information. And so for a child, say, seven-year-old child who is mm-hmm. we say misbehaving but they're not misbehaving so they might be diagnosed with a condition but below that condition there's something that's happening that we're not looking at yeah it could be and again it could be both um and sometimes not however i'm from the from the viewpoint that every single family, we're all humans. And there's a lot of generational trauma that happens where there's secret things that have happened in our family lines that lead to higher, uh, higher things of anxiety or depression or changes in our brain. And I believe that if they're not dealt with, not only do we have our individual trauma, but we also have the family trauma that we haven't dealt with that has impacted us and our belief systems and how we move. And so that's also part of it. So I actually believe that children who may have some of those different things going on, Mm. it may not just be what's going on with them. It may just be what's going on that impacted the family. Mm. And then the child is just picking it up, (laughs) picking up what what the parents are there with. Yeah. Yeah. Scary. Uh, Yep. My next question is, sorry, why does my past trauma still affect me? Great question. The past trauma really goes back to what you asked about childhood trauma, James, you know, and thinking about if we have something happen. So imagine, I always say, and this is probably good, I have a grapefruit, so I'm a visual person. So imagine here, this is the initial event, right? There was an initial event that happened. And when those emotions have not been dealt with and they had been negative, we start to, we just kind of hide it, right? Almost like the inside of the fruit is all those emotions and we kind of hide it over and what happens is if we don't deal with it, it's just like thinking about a soda with all the stuff in it. If we don't deal with it, it's ready to bug, bubble and burst out. But we learn how to stuff it down or we learn how to do something. Or our brain just automatically, because it's too much, shuts it down. And so what happens then is if we actually don't deal with the emotions or identify the emotions 
And so from an event, let's say, for example, from this event, someone says something horrible to me, right? Or somebody like made fun of me and there was bullying. If that hasn't been dealt with, I have a negative belief that I'm horrible or I'm terrible or I'm no good. I believe that. And then every time another event happens, just think of a chain, chain event. Every time another event happens, another link goes on and the emotions get heightened. So as I get older, when I, something that might happen where someone says something to me that isn't a negative thing, I might perceive it. And all of a sudden I go off because my emotions have never been dealt with. And the the more heightened emotions and the more I haven't dealt with it, it'll actually impact my interactions. It'll inter- impact my, then uh, outbursts or, or how I feel um, about myself. And so that past trauma, if not dealt with, can actually impact my emotions. And so my responses may change until we get to the root of it. Once we get to the root of it, it's just like a chain. Once, And one of my good mentors, Craig Miller says, once you get to the root of it, all the chains fall. And then when you have things, you may still have emotions, but it's not the heightened ones that you, that mm. you had before. Mm. So say someone in the 33 years, for example, that had trauma event that has been suppressing, would you say with alcohol? Because it's easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> Eventually, your body will try, like your body's constantly trying to get your attention to deal with that emotion. Mm-hmm. So, is that why people say they reach a certain age and they break down? Because they can no longer satisfy what they're trying to hide with the substance that they're using. It's a great way to explain that, James. Actually, <laughs> okay. I, would, I would agree with you that we self-protection of any kinds, this is a great for skin, right? We don't want to eat the skin, skin, but a lot of times this is what we self-protection barriers. It could be all kinds of stuff. I actually talked a little bit about this yesterday, um, but it could be just in, in one of my groups, but basically it, it could, the self-protection could be alcohol, drugs, food, whatever it is. Mm humor, I mean, humor can be good. It's it's good to have joy, but we can actually use humor to deflect how we're actually feeling. And so there's so many different avenues that we can use for self-protection uh, that really deflect some of those emotions uh, that, that, yeah. And then once we, we keep doing this at some point, because it is self-harm, I always say is the self-protection is self-harm. That was something that was a revelation to me. And at some point, as we're in our like love journey or healing journey, it's like, okay, this isn't serving me. There's something different that's happening, but we keep going from one thing to another because it's so painful to go to the initial violation. So yeah, I would say that the, what you're talking about, like alcohol or addiction, it really is. And again, there are some addictions that yes, like if we pick it up, it might not be from trauma, but a lot of the different things can tend to be something where we're numbing a pain or numbing something, especially if there's a trauma background for a person. Mm. That's when things get really excited. (laughs) Yeah. 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 My next question is, how can complex trauma affect on child's development? So complex trauma can certainly impact the child's development in their brain. It can, uh, their thinking, for example, some students, there might, it might lead to them shutting down with talking, speech. 
It can impact uh, the, even their interactions at school, social development with peers. So a lot of times if children are, again, they may be exhibiting some more sexual behavior, sexualized behavior, um, or again, you might see students that have more higher behaviors that are happening because they don't know how to express, they don't have the language to say, this is what happened to me. And childhood development, there has been research that's shown that if there has been trauma, it can impact our development and not just academics, behavior socially, and it can just impact, again, how we view ourselves. So you might have children shutting down or children that may view themselves as bad um, or even a lot more anxiety or depression. And even some of the things, unfortunately, for children or youth, if it's not addressed because there's silences in families or there's silences in, in society or communities and we don't pick up on the trauma, it can really mm. impact the child in that you might see a higher risk of suicide ideation or suicide attempts. We, we know that for youth, there's a lot more of that if we don't take, if we, if we're not checking in with mental health. Mm. And when we're talking about child development, do you think the trauma starts way before birth? Oh, that's okay. So you yeah. So in terms of that, okay. So that's some of it, like during. But I actually believe yes, trauma can uh can begin in the womb, and in fact, it can really begin with the generation prior. If you think about our families, mm. our mom and dads come together, yeah, and everything they bring, and if it hasn't been dealt with, that obviously makes the the child in the womb. And I've in fact, um, again, there's some there's research for anxiety. It's not to blame or shame moms or family, but there no, been we're not blaming anyone. Right. <laughs> but, you know, I always want to say that because sometimes if people are in here and your moms or your family, it's not about blame or shame. It's just looking at it and saying, okay, now we know, now we can continue to be aware of it. And so in research, it shows that with moms, if they have high anxiety and it hasn't been addressed, it actually can impact their babies in the womb. And uh, it's cortisol. It's cortisol that can impact the babies. Now, that's, again, I want to say not blaming or shaming, but we are finding that in research that that higher levels can impact the baby who may have anxiety. Now, that's examples of how research is showing that there can be, it's, it's, it's validating what we're finding about the anxiety. Now, in terms of before the womb, that's where I'm saying that if we have emotions or even these high cortisol levels or emotions that are impacting our neurotransmitters, which are part of our brain, all the activations in us, if that's happening, then we're having the impact on our body physiologically and mom and dad, whatever they didn't deal with, I call it trauma um, imprints or really cellular memory trauma, mm. that then happens in the baby um, you know, again, as they grow up, they may have some of that. So when you hear people say, oh, they're just like your mom or dad, it's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Like we have families, but what happens is that's part of that memory trauma. If we haven't dealt with it, then the, the individual child, they have their experiences plus all of not just mom and dad, but anything that happened in the family line that hasn't been addressed that impacts that child as well. So yes, mm. answering your question, childhood trauma in my experiences and even what I've healed from and even where I've been, I went back to the womb uh, in some of my healing. I actually saw myself in the womb and I actually had a lot of healing there and I've had a lot of clients actually go back to the womb and that's helped them shift from that high anxiety. And so I can speak from some of my own experiences and some from some of the people I've coached that they end up going back to the womb. And it's really fascinating that at some point they will go back there because that is the place where I believe trauma can be uh, greatly impacted if it's not addressed and even out the outside of the womb.
Mm. So even if you're born with, even if you're born with high anxiety, but you don't know, you can obviously overcome that, can't you? Like, mm-hmm. it, I know they say it's in your gene, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, there's different skills out there again, right? There's different places where it's like, okay, you can manage anxiety. I believe that in my lifetime that there's a time and place for managing anxiety and there's a time and place where you actually can decrease it. And in fact, it can be almost um, eradicated. Now there's healthy anxiety that can happen, right? Like meaning healthy mm. stress, not necessarily healthy anxiety, but I actually believe in life. We're going to have things that might happen that can, you know, impact us where we're like, whoa, this is an interesting situation. So I'm not saying that we won't ever have opportunities to have that anxiety. What I'm talking about more is that as we're in these situations, that yes, we may have that, but processing it and not necessarily, um, there are ways to help support it, not necessarily just manage it, but also decrease it. And over time, learn those tools and even have the healing that is not the high anxiety. But we have ebb and flow in life. So when new trauma events happen, you know, then we may be going through that. So I'm not someone saying, okay, completely, you know, it's going to be eradicated. It's more being mindful of what are things that may impact you. And there are situations like death or other things that might make us, um, you know, start to be like, oh my gosh, you know, it's, it's getting feeling mm. of those emotions to reduce the anxiety in different situations. Mm. I-, I heard about Sorry, this is not a question. <laughs> I heard there was there was a study done uh, after nine eleven on women that gave birth mm. nine months after that, and I think they found that the children had mm. a high level anxiety mm-hmm. as a result of that. So that's yeah. So that can happen. Yeah, yeah. the high stress yeah. on your body mm. and this traumatic. Mm. Yeah, and a lot of times people may not have. Back then, there may have been some training on post-traumatic stress disorder or the tra- trauma, but there may not have been as much because it's, when you have worldwide events or even, you know, James, things like that, where it impacts the world or the whole country, it's a lot because everybody's dealing with mm. some level of trauma. And even if you're trauma-informed, even for myself, there's still things that I have to be mindful of to take care of myself because there's still things that you have to process even as a person who helps people or, you know, is an education that we, none of us are exempt from having to deal with or process different types of trauma. Hence the current pandemic, everybody has had some form of um, coping or understanding what that looks like and how it's impacted them. Mm. No one's immune to it. Mm-hmm. Um, my next question is what can happen when they're not being treated. So when we're not treating trauma for people? Yeah. Yeah. Like say I had severe complex trauma and I'm not doing anything about it. (laughs) Yeah. That's a great question. So I actually, uh, so that was a lot of my story. I had a lot of complex trauma, just different things from childhood trauma, emotional abuse traumas, um, bullying, you name it, I've gone through it. And um, I never got help. And I think even in my family, there was times where there was perhaps generational, like we didn't know how to get help, or it's embarrassing, or no, it's just deal with it in your family. And mm-hmm. I think what happened for me is even when I had a few teachers notice or get have concern for me, it was like, oh, I'm good. I'm okay. And so I just dealt with this most of my life on my own, you know, the intern and I, there's externalized times where people will actually, you know, might act out with anger and fighting. And then there's internalized, which I think they're both 
can be harmful, but externalize, you're at least trying to get it out. Whereas internalize, you're taking it all in. And that can be very painful and a lot of emotional mm. pain. So it was almost like uh, instead of putting arrows out, I was putting arrows in and uh, the arrows in really impacted my psyche. It impacted my belief system, how I t- took care of myself, how I even t- uh, interacted with other people. And that was a silence thing most of my life until I started to have a healing journey, which I really believe happened in my early uh, late teens going to college. Mm. And I left my house and I learned I was really dealing with what? Like, you know, it's so different when you come out of a dysfunctional place and you're learning that that doesn't happen in other sectors and other places. And then I spent a lot of my journey going in and out of different um, addictions, different, you know, just different behaviors because I didn't. I, I call, I, I actually have a call, call it a certain thing, which I'm, I'll share at some point because I, I definitely am going to be writing a book on it. But basically I was responding out of what I only knew out of dysfunctional, mm. a, a dysfunctional identity. And I think a lot of us do that. Like to find ourselves, it's almost like you, you, you end up with something and then all of a sudden you come back to who you really are later. And, um, sometimes in the middle, we're like thinking that's who we are, but it's really not until we get to who we yeah. are, you know? And so, um, you know, basically when you're asking about that, yeah, it's, I think it really impacts our whole walk. Um, and so it, it does take time to really overcome, oh, oh, do that. And complex trauma, when you're he- doing healing with it and how it impacts us is that if we don't get the support, it just continues to build. So additional events and a different experiences happen. And if we never dealt with it, imagine how the mind might be with its distortion, perception. And a lot of times when you have adults, they're getting to a place of, of breakdown or mental breakdown because our body and our mind can only be disconnected so long before we know there's an alert, alert. Our body starts to say, alert, alert, alert. I'm like reliving this and the brain shut down. So it's saying, nope, 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 we don't need to deal with it. And so at some point, we have like it's there's no other choice but the body's saying it's kind of do that and some people never do but there's definitely impact because you see like their negative talk their their anger um you see it in in their um high levels of that mental health and it's because a lot of things hadn't been dealt with Mm. and do you think um so when trauma happens you said so obviously you're either projecting it to other people or you're swallowing the event and when you're projecting it to other people, we often think that it's the people around you that are doing it to you. Yes. And, and a lot, yeah, absolutely. Like when the projection, it can be that you think, or you hear something because sometimes the tone or even a person that reminds you of somebody that may have been a, you know, someone that has violated you all of a sudden, you don't realize why your body is upset or why you're angry. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and so, so a lot of times it could be unconscious. So I always call it unconscious or some people say subconscious, uh, memories that are coming up, or it could be that, um, some, somebody says something impacts the emotions that have not been dealt with or a pain point for you, something that you're wanting to change, but you, you haven't. And, and so your, your heart is just like, it's almost like hope deferred. I, I call it where you're, you know, the heart gets sick when we have hope and we want to change, but we don't know how and we know there's something yeah. different. We accept where we're at and then we get pain. There's pain when other people aren't accepting where they're at. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> My next question is, <laughs> what are some of the impact of disassociation? Sorry. What's some of the impact 
yeah. disassociation can have. Yes. And dissociation can be where people almost use that as could be something easier, most easiest it's described is when you're, you're, you want to be present, but you're not because the current present situation reminds you of something in the past that's too painful. So it's almost like you're out of body experience. For example, some people might say with dissociation, you are driving, all of a sudden you're driving, you start fan, like you go somewhere else and all of a sudden you're like, I don't know how I got to the town across the, uh, from one point to another. How did that happen because we're just almost in a place of not being present. And that happens for people in minute, even if they haven't had trauma, to people who've had complex trauma, where it's really difficult to be grounded and stay in one place because our brain is trying to keep safe. So the keep safe, we dissociate, right? We're not necessarily in the actual moment. And then we come back at some point. Um, and so with dissociation, James, and again, um, Sorry, can you like repeat that last part of the question? Because I wanted to explain yeah, first dissociation. Yeah. What are some of the impact disassociation can have? Oh. So. Thank you. Yeah, so just with explaining dissociation, dissociation impact is if you are at your job or say you're in a conversation and something happens, you may not be listening or you might miss important key details if you're in mm. school, if you're in relationships. Um, it may also be that people think you're emotionally shut down if you're in a, a friendships or even, <laughs> yeah. you know, relationships that, that, you know, you're not really there. So you're not really fully showing up as who you could be with your with the person that you're supposed to be with, you know, your friends, and it can impact your social relationships. It can impact your daily job. And depending how often you dissociate, it may be that there's it warrants additional support such as therapy counseling, you know, even going, sometimes there's inpatient or outpatient hospitalization, again, depending on how much that's impacting. And I'm saying like, if you're dissociating quite a bit where you're not feeling present most of the time, that can be concerning because then you may not be remembering what you're doing, right? Or you might not be remembering um, the acts or sometimes because we're in our trauma, we're in the responding because of our trauma. What happens is we may not even realize we're dissociating through an, an, an throughout an event. For example, if you think of people who have been, you know, domestic violence, or you think of people who are un unfortunately on in a very sexually assaulted a lot um, because of the relationships they're in, they dissociate during it or even during that whole thing. And so I think when we, we don't realize how much that impacts people because they basically become almost like not there because it's too painful that they're, that they're going through this ongoing violation. And so dissociation can be very alarming because it's, people are dissociating from themselves because they're being violated and it can be very painful to dissociating where it could be you're driving and it could be not healthy no, to be no. driving and dissociating <laughs> yeah. quite a bit, you know. Um, or other things. So it could definitely be harmful to yourself or others. And, and if it's happening quite a bit, it definitely is something to that people may or may not realize, but it is important to get seek help from and it's not embarrassing to get help. It's okay. Mm. With the association that happens in childhood, where the event mm -hmm. is, say, any sort of abuse to a child where they learn to dissociate. Now, obviously, mm -hmm. you don't know you're dissociating, you just, your brain is just keeping you, your mind off what's happening. So mm -hmm. when you get to your adult life and you are still dissociating from relationships, but you don't know you're doing it. Mm. Yeah, like you could be talking to someone and they'll be like, are you even here? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, 
where did you go? But yeah. when it's happening in adulthood, you still don't know why it's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. How can you... I'm just thinking for myself. Like I'm thinking, when did I dissociate from events? <laughs> A lot of times. Uh, no, but like in adult life, if you don't know why you're doing it, is that something like you probably have to seek help for? Yeah, and sometimes there might other other people might notice, and then they're concerned because uh, sometimes we don't realize how much we're doing that and how it's impacting us. Uh, and also, you because I remember. For example, for me, there was a time when I was younger, it was probably like 10 years ago, uh, a decade ago, and I was going on a trip. And before I went, I was in a state which I would actually say was the same state when I was 12. There was some type of cycle that happened at that age where I might I was in that same place. And in that cycle, my friend, family, actually, who... Uh, there was still a dysfunction. They are concerned because I, it was like I was, I said, I have a poem where I wrote about this. It was like I was there, but I really wasn't. And that mm. was very true that I didn't recognize. I knew like I was feeling like numb and like nothing was like, I was just in a like horrible place. Um, so sometimes we may recognize it, but other people may. And then we may not even know how much we aren't there. And, um, I think obviously today I'm like night and day from where that, where I was. And I'm grateful because of all the deep work I've done. But sometimes we don't realize how much we're doing that. But once you do, like if you're constantly like, oh, like I was daydreaming for an hour, what happened? Like are the time passed? And and so sometimes we yeah. get those little pieces. But it's I think the biggest thing is getting help, whether you're a man or woman. I think there's a lot still of stigma where people still or like we're like, I don't need help because it, depending on the generation now, a lot more people are, are advocating for mental health. There's a yeah. lot of de- generations, like my older grandparents and family, they were taught to be quiet and don't say anything. So you have this no. continuum of people now saying, speak about it. And people saying, no, just get over it because that's what they were taught. And it really is confusing to a lot of people because there are different, because of what we were taught. And now it's like, it's time to uncover it, but it's painful because a lot of people haven't because that's what they were told not to do. And so- I think that's also a part of it is that people may realize again, depending if they have different frag, I feel like there's fragments of people like we have to, um, I believe in integration of the brain. Um, and it's possible. I've seen it, including myself, but I think like it takes some time to say, I need help and actually get help. And that it's actually strong to get help. You don't have to try to do it on your own. And so many people feel like Mm. they need to, but that's where you have people break down because we're called to help each other and all of us, deal with some type of, you know, we all have a brain, we all have thinking, and all of us need each other to say, hey, how you doing? Because none of us are exempt, as you said, are immune to not have having to be mindful of what we put in our brain or what we're thinking. And we, we need each other to say, oh, okay, I'm, I was dealing with that once too. Or yeah, I dealt with that sometimes, you know, sometimes that comes up mm. and, and I, I can relate to you. Because I think that's what people think is that they say something and people think they're crazy because we've made it such a stigma. When yeah. 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 I think uh, society viewpoint <laughs> still affects a lot of us. Absolutely. Yeah. So my next question is, what are some of the consequences of emotional detachment with parents? 
Yeah. Emotional detachment with parents and parents may not realize that they have different attachment or detachment styles happening. Uh, There are things such as attachment styles like avoidant attachment Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, just dismissive avoidant attachment. And then there's secure attachment, which is healthy, where we have our parents where they are present. They have had healing uh, you know, there's not something where there's codependency, where they're, you know, they're, they're present with us, you know, they express emotions, like we talk about things, it's not where a parent shuts down on us, or a parent um, ignores our emotions, or we feel rejected or abandoned, or if we are, because we're humans, none of us are going to be perfect in this, we're humans, right? But it's a secure attachment when you have, it's not overly where parents are overly trying to please, you know, like meaning that they're, they're doing so much for us mm. and it's not where parents, a parent's not there emotionally. You know, I had, I had, I'm so glad my dad was a provider, you know, and I honor him. Like, you know, he did what he could, but he didn't have the emotions there. So where he was providing, I needed the emotional dad to be there for different events, not just to work, for example. And so I didn't have that healthy attachment with my dad because there wasn't the emotional attachment. There were some things, but my dad didn't quite know how to do that because he didn't have it, Mm. uh, for example. And for my mom, like there was more of like the overly, right? Like constant fear, like the fear of like me being hurt, which was I didn't love either because I wanted to, you know, there's always this, oh, you can't do this because it'll be scary. So I grew up in this very like confusing, fearful, yet like dismissive emotions and, um, and I think like what happens then is that you didn't, like, it took time to have secure attachment within, like that I have safety within and that I can learn how to have healthy relationships. But definitely if there's detachment, it can impact the child's relationships with themselves, like how they love them and also how they have relationships and friendships with other people. You know, are they, do they run away from relationships? Do they stay? Um, you know, do they try to try to sabotage relationships? Do they feel worthy? And so depending on those lack of attachments, you have people trying to be too independent or too dependent on another person and not really knowing who they are. And in, in terms, sorry, we parents, so you, you could be giving your child everything, but if you're not emotionally there with them, obviously they will enjoy what you're giving them. <laughs> if you're not emotionally there with them, they, they will eventually start feeling it. Yeah, it'll impact them because they truly want, all of us want to belong and have, be accepted. And really, mm. All of, all of our, a lot of our pain, or even with other relationships, it always goes back to mom and dad, either like a mother or, or a father wound. And I say that because not everybody believes that, but I do, because I feel like, you know, if we have that there in the events, uh, a lot of it is how, however we perceive the world is a lot of times for a mom and dad. So if we don't have that healthy relationship and we, and healing takes a journey, then we may view other people or like, say we have like a painful thing with our mom or like it was, there was overbearing stuff then we might view other people like that or like, you know, um, depending on, on the person. So it's, or like, or dad. So I think it does definitely impact us and our relationships. And then as we realize what we're operating in and, and the functions that we learned, it's that un- doing which takes time to undo and realize that was just a response we learned but it's not really the healthy response that we can give Mm. and do you think when it comes to your adult relationship you're more likely to seek someone that's distance from you as well well yeah. <laughs> That's a great question. So I think when I, when I, and for myself, I can speak to most of my life when I was operating out of this different function because of the unhealthy functions, I would seek people unknowingly 
most of the time that that, yeah. that had that detachment where I was trying to seek them out and be like, oh man, like they're emotionally unavailable, but I can, th- this can change or like trying so hard to be loved or like not be abandoned and rejected from these people. And each time I was in these relationships, it was another uh, arrow to me because it was taking away from my self-worth to a point where I was almost begging people to love me or, or think I'm valuable and worthy because I didn't know what that was like inside. And I felt like that's what I had to do because it was modeled to me or, you know, and so as I healed, I learned, okay, that was not healthy. I have to love myself. And, and something really insightful I had a long time ago was, um, enduring one really bad, hard ch- uh, time in my life. Now this is just our relationship parts was I realized that, um, that a man who doesn't love and value himself will not recognize the person, right? The person that is in front of them and a woman who's not in knowing her worth and value and, and love in life will not recognize the man. It's just, it's just something that happens where we, if, if not, there's going to be other people that may seem like, Oh, they're safe because like they have very similar things, but they haven't dealt with it. So I think that in the journey of life, we may have different relationships that kind of mirror it mirrors where we are. And sometimes, mm-hmm. um, you know, as we continue to evolve, hopefully we're in the right place with someone who wants to keep evolving too. But I find that a lot of times in the past, my relationships mirrored where I was or, or where they were too. And, um, some of those things, I call it like a trauma bond where if people have, <laughs> and that most, I mean, if you really think about it, James, this is a whole other topic, which I will do, <laughs> but a lot of times. Yeah. No, trauma, yeah, yeah. trauma bond is like, <laughs> yeah. but it's like, but what the wild thing is, is that most people, if you have never done healing, a lot of people are in relationships that I call trauma bonded. They're not really actually the person that they're, that would be like, you know, the main, per- the person that would really soar them ahead. There is a trauma bond. It's actually, and they feel like it's such a deep connection, but it's really a, it's a, um, a wounded connection. True. That was actually what I was going to ask. With, uh- <laughs> because, uh, <laughs> because at the start, when you meet someone, it's like, oh my God, this is so great. <laughs> and over time, yeah, they, they're no longer feeling that gap that you actually want. Mm-hmm. So it was the it was the trauma that brought you guys together because you recognize mm-hmm. unconsciously <laughs> mm-hmm. what you're familiar with. So yeah. Yeah, yep. that's that's a whole conversation in itself. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Third one. Yeah, especially when you're talking about relationships because no one wants to believe that. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So my next question is, what are some of the signs of being abandoned? abandonment that is a painful one because abandonment can actually be in the womb if you have a parent that doesn't really want you they don't realize that it impacts you and abandonment uh some of those impacts could be codependency where we stay in friendships or relationships uh that we're afraid that people will leave so we try to over people please we try to uh, it's almost fawning response we're like okay i'll do whatever just don't leave me um we have a lot of fears it can impact us in that we're afraid to even change. Like change is very scary where we don't want to change relationships or even jobs. And abandonment can lead to a lot of anxiety, depression, and just us changing or not being who we really are and showing up as ourselves because we're so afraid of abandonment. Uh, it can lead to really unhealthy relationships. It can lead to unhealthy addictions uh, because really at the root of it, we just don't want to be abandoned. And so, and it also can be that, a lot of people who are high achievers actually posted yesterday that a lot of times the fear of abandonment is that we don't want people to abandon us. So we high perform and we over 
form mm. because we want people to see that we that we want to get validated so that we're we're not abandoned and being smart or good enough. Mm. Those are some big ones. When you think of abandonment, you always associate it with someone leaving, for example. Can you still be abandoned in a family where the two parents are still there as a child? Great question. Yeah, so abandonment can be, going back to that emotional detachment, where we feel abandoned and unloved even in our family. Maybe there's lack of that emotional mm. presence, physical presence in our family. Perhaps um, in, in a family that's together, you can have abandonment feeling or perception. And you can also, if you have families that are single families or there's divorce or there's separation, um, there can still be. I remember even with some of my clients, they are like, oh, I, I remember the day that my dad left, even if it was just for a few days. I remember that day and he left me. I thought he left me and my family. And so we can actually perceive or believe that we're abandoned from events that happen. So certainly, whether it be in an actual family, James, that, um, that there are family members, but if there's something happened like a fight or whatnot, which things happen, it can impact us where we think that we might be abandoned or we take, remember those experiences and they're almost locked in us and it might come up later and like oh my gosh that's the root of it that was when it happened age one you know and it's interesting how we don't recognize that impacts us yeah brilliant and my last question for this is uh okay this is a, a quite a long one so just give me a second sorry how should an adult who was emotionally neglected as a child overcome the voice in the head that says these people don't know me but these people will never understand me. So this is where you have a lot of trauma. You want to speak to people, but in your mind, you're thinking they're not going to understand what I'm saying. <laughs> so how, how do you overcome that voice? That's a great question to unpack. <laughs> and it is. a. a it is. It is. That's why I left it to last. Yeah. So we just get an overview of it. <laughs> yep. The first thing is that anytime we're, we have things inside of us and it's protected, we don't feel safe. The first way to realize that it's okay to talk is if we feel emotional safety with the person we're talking with. And so it might take some time for a person to establish safety because before we can heal, we must feel safe. That's really the beginning part of it. So I would say as we, once we sit, use our voice, which is the scariest part sometimes because we're told to be quiet or not talk about it or that no one's going to help. And the first part is saying, I'm, if we have a safe person, even someone that we know and our barriers come down a little bit and we can say, I can talk to this person. I can um, share this and it's the first step. And so that safety part though really is regulation. So sometimes when we're in it, it is like, um, before you even have a relationship, it is our brain relaxing enough to know we're safe. And so, mm. yes, there's regulation like water and whatnot, but a lot of times it may just be that we, for some of you even listening that it's taken, you've had so much trauma and disappointment that it may just take some time to realize someone's safe and also know that it's okay. And once you start speaking it, there's a power in our words. So once you start speaking it, it's the first step of saying, okay, this person is safe enough from, and I need, I need help. And if I don't reach out to anybody, I may not be safe for myself. And I think that's one of the biggest things to, to realize is that at some point, we're not even safe to ourselves because we're not trusting anyone, including even ourselves. Um, and so I think 
at the biggest thing is who is your safest person. And if you don't have a safe person, there are different helplines, especially like if you're one that's like really dealing with mental health or thinking, and it's just not, there's ongoing racing thoughts. There are mental health support systems where they, you may not know them, but at least you can share it with somebody and at least get going with the uh, voice. And then they might share with you, but little by little, even if you just call that first to get you going and then you know, certainly, um, reaching out, um, again, there are people, usually counselors can be safe, but I always say you can you can check in, see, get to know people, but you want to have a safe person to share, Hey, I'm not sure how I'm doing. And then they can support you. But when you share, and if there are things that are, 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 um, really going on with you know that people care about you. So if there are things like you're having high suicide thoughts or other things, that if, if you're not feeling safe, the first priority is always you, um, is always you making sure you get help. Now, if it's something in your head where you're like, well, I can't do this, I can't trust per- a person, definitely one of the big things with safety is like our body has to feel safe. But I would say whoever is your safest person, the, everybody needs a safe person. Sometimes we don't feel like we have one. So my hope is either call a hotline first to help you and then also look at who is a safe person, whether it be a mentor, whether it be a um, you know colleague or a friend, somebody that you think of right away that is safe or even if they're not in your family, because sometimes we don't have safe family. Um, identifying them and being able to reach out because you matter because, and, and, and what you're thinking does matter. And, um, and then that will help you with the next step, which is healing. So safety of talking to someone and then getting your healing. I hope that helps. If anything Mm. else you need clarified, I can do that. And when you, I suppose when you start to talk to someone, your emotions will tell you whether you trust them or not. Like if, if I'm going to start, like if I'm going to start talking to you, which is what, we're already talking, but, <laughs> but oh, yeah. there's something holding me back. It's like, no, don't do it. Mm-hmm. That's probably a good sign, isn't it? If your emotions are just like, no, no. And then you meet some people that you're just like, oh, I can just mm-hmm. talk to this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's like, so I think there's twofold. I think sometimes we can come to somebody and we realize they're safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, there's something about them that we're like, okay, we, you know, they're, they're drawn in, they may have done their healing work, they, there's something that they're safe with. Another part is like, if we have people that remind us of people in our past, even if they may be safe, we may perceive them not to be safe in the moment because of what's going on with us. That is a possibility. And then there are things like you said, where yes, like if you get to something, you don't feel safe, you because there's something going on with them, and you can tell like they may not be a safe person. That's another possibility. Um, I think there's a, a ebb and flow. I think for sometimes if we're, we really truly are so feeling not safe, um, we may, and sometimes we may have think somebody's safe. So I think perception can be just distorted, either thinking someone's safe or not safe based on what happens, mm. um, based on our past that we've healed or based on, um, you know, other stuff. Cause you could have a safe person. They say one thing and all of a sudden you don't think they're safe. Yeah. And it's not <laughs> It's not that they're not, right? Like there's something, or maybe like it's a, we're in a perception of the challenge distortion and that person shared something, but it kind of impacted us. We're like, ooh, that really was painful, but they didn't mean it, but it was something that we needed to hear, but we're not ready to hear. That can Mm -hmm. also be painful because we think that they're not safe. And a lot of times, sometimes we hear things that we're not ready to hear. And I've 
done that in my life where I've had people say things to me I wasn't ready to hear and it was painful and I was like, they're not safe, but they were. And there were, there were times in my life that I said something to people and they deemed me not safe because I was saying something they weren't ready to hear because they still weren't at that place to say, yeah, this is absolutely something that needs to change. Mm. And again, my wisdom now is I know when to say it or when not. And, and sometimes even because I'm in the, you know, I'm going to be getting my, my master's soon in counseling. I have my doctorate in, in education and being through it myself. There are times where, um, you know, there's times where like there's challenging thoughts, but you have that relationship with people. So, it's, you know, if I met somebody for the first time, it's not like I'm going to be like, Oh, let me challenge everything you're saying. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it would be that you want to establish that you, that you care. And it's, and I, and I hear people, I validate people, even if they are in the middle of dissociation, we want to validate people because that's where they're at right now. So I validate people where they are mm. and establish that I hear them and that, that what they are saying matters that I'm not like, you know, Oh man, uh, I'm hearing them and I want them to know that I'm a safe place that they can share anything with me. And as we grow in time and relationship, you know, there may, and there may be times where there might be a, okay, like you're saying this, you know, um, and, 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 and can you see how that might be impacting your relationship? But those are times where you have that safety, you have that support. And when you're sharing that, you're not saying negative things to them. You're helping them think about what they're thinking about mm. and see, okay, how is that impacting you? Is that helping? Is that hindering? and it helps them to perhaps think about that themselves fantastic sorry that was a big question (laughs) yeah it was a great question i loved it there's a lot in that and especially when it comes to sharing your story with people like that someone might say something yeah it might be perceived as mean Mm -hmm. but it might just mean also you're not ready to hear it yeah it happens quite a lot so Mm -hmm. Great, great. That's all the questions I had for a Q&A. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. All the professional questions anyway. <laughs> yeah. My last question is, what do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? Ooh, that's a good yeah. So, I, yeah. <laughs> that's not a professional question. <laughs> I love it. I actually think it's part of it because that's part of self-care So I, yes. and, and it's interesting. So I love uh, being outside. I love uh, to work out. I love to um, cook. I love to go out with friends and the beach is fun. And mm. whenever I can, I do enjoy, I love writing, which is funny, but I really enjoy um, spending time with people, quality time and just being outside. I mean, the sun is my thing. And so on rainy days, I can handle it. So me, for me being outside with friends, um, going out for salsa or, you know, dancing, <laughs> yeah. singing or anything that can get me laughing. Cause I can really get into some things I could be very like focused, but I think we all have a childlike nature. So mm. being outside or being out, it's something I enjoy. So yeah, walking, running, spending time with people are things I do for fun and traveling. Mm. Every time I can travel, James, I do. So yeah. that's definitely <laughs> part of my of my life. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank I you. appreciate this. If you have enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate it could leave a quick review on my facebook page don't be afraid to talk or dm me on instagram the show notes will include all the relevant links from today's episode if you haven't already please download leave a rating and share with your friends you might just reach the person who needs to hear this message please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes i am james lumumba signing off with gratitude